Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And, And you know, it's always a joy for me when I get another podcaster on the other side of the mic because they they just do it. We just, we hit record and we just go. So I'm delighted that I uh, aligned with Matt Schaup. Did I say it right? You did. Yes, I you did. did. Thank you. We practiced before. Um, and I was saying to Matt how this year in season three that we changed things up because I can read Matt's impressive bio to you. But Matt's all about storytelling and and so much more that we're going to talk about. So, Matt, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to our amazing listenership, which continues to be and growing in 65 countries. Give us the Coles Notes version of, of who Matt is and why he wanted to be on the show. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned the you know, the sexy bio, right, that everybody puts, that's the credibility that gets you in the door, gets you on the podcast. But the the reality of it is like, that's, that's the pretty stuff, the, you know, reality behind the scenes stuff. And this is what we talk about is, is on paper, uh, I should be dead in prison or disappeared. So I grew up in New Jersey and I ran around with a crowd back then and that's what happened to them. So, you know, looking back from 10 years old to 42 years old, I'm standing here today with, you know, multiple companies. I, I love leadership and speaking and I write books and I take business leaders on adventures to Spain. And I really get to tie all of my life's passions, which are business people and leadership, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Spanish coffee, and going to traveling Spain, sharing that culture into ways to make people's lives better. And it's just such an honor that I get to do that because everybody told me and, and on paper that I shouldn't have done that. If you looked at what I experienced and I was able to go through those experiences and take that story and really shift from the way that I perceived and viewed that story. And, and I can help other people do the same thing. And that's what I get to do. So, I mean, I literally get to have fun all day drinking coffee, hanging out with cool people like you and make their lives better. And that's just what leadership is at the end of the day, right? You use your story, connect with somebody else and make them better. And, and you know what I love? Every time somebody introduces themselves to me, it makes me think of something. So as you were talking and saying, you know, where you should have been, but you're not, thank God. It made me think of um, the podcast that Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama started. And I don't know if you've listened to it. No. It's called Renegades, Born in the USA. And they have this like unique friendship. And when they peel away all the extrinsic stuff of, you know, legendary musician, past president of the United States, they have so much in common and they both realize that they were outliers, you know, Barack Obama having, you know, biracial parents and trying to fit in Hawaii as a young black, you know, Mm -hmm. boy. And then Bruce Springsteen was brought up in Jersey. And I don't need to tell you about that. 
And just, you know, you can hear his emotion, his growth, his success in the lyrics of his music. And so, the you know, I, I didn't plan to do a shout out for their podcast, but as soon as you spoke, it just made me think of both of them. And, and Bruce talks about very similarly like you, like it's all about our choices. So I'm going to dig into our leadership yeah. questions because I'm so excited to talk to you. Love it. Congratulations on your new program called The Gentle Art of Leadership. Like, are you not the best person to be on this podcast? We're going to talk about all that heart-centered. But again, give us the synopsis of why you chose to create this program and why, what was sitting in your heart? What was yearning for the creation and and how did it come to be? Yeah, so I'm I'm naturally a a business guy, a business person. So I can take anything, right? And I can X and O it and P and L it and set goals and sell things. Like I love that part of the business. At, at the end of the day, though, this this isn't isn't about that. This will produce that. But looking back, as I really had a chance to reflect back on my story and the lessons that I learned from it. And now I sit here in a position of leadership, owning and running, being the CEO of multiple companies. And I, I'm downstairs, right downstairs here teaching you know, 120 students, 30 to 40 kids that are going through all kinds of craziness. We had one, one kid was homeless in a car, you know, a couple of months ago. And now he's, now he's a totally changed person. Um, I have a responsibility and a duty based on the choices I made based on the story I had to share that with people. And I think everybody does. Um, there's a, there's a quote, we have a quote of the week in our office and we have one from Maya Angelo. It says something to the degree, I don't have it word for word, but, a but a story that's not told and that's kept in is one of the, the biggest wastes in the world, right? Cause you could use that to serve somebody. So it's just, it's, it's why God put me here. That's, that's part of my design and who I am. And I've also seen people that go through trauma and hurt and, and, and a lot of the similar things that I went through and they just say, you know what, we're just going to take that because that's what life is. And that's what got handed to us. And, and they don't want to get to the other side of that. And I've seen the pain that causes and where people end up. So I'm not, I'm not running away from that. I just know what that is, but there's such a better side to, to the other side of what we all go through every day as people like life's, life's not easy. It's not easy. And, uh, it's, I'm always, I always have these serendipitous moments of people that want to be on the show or get recommended. And we have so much in common, um, I'm releasing the Heart Centered Leadership Playbook in the fall, and it's a combination. It. It's a combination of everything you just talked about. I volunteered at hospice for almost eight years, and I've been with those people holding their hand at end of life who are dying with stories inside, and that's a big regret. They're not talking about the fancy car they didn't get to buy or the cottage. It's all about I wish yeah. I had a, I wish I coulda, I wish I shoulda. <laughs> so. When you talk from that context, I completely align with you and I understand it. My my second question, you had asked me this before we hit record, and I said, you have to wait. I know. I was I was being impatient or or trying to jump ahead in it's, the in the it's program. It's got permanent residency on the show. It's my favorite question. I've asked almost 250 leaders this question. What imperfections does Matt bring? to his heart-centered leadership. And just remember, it's a 30-minute yeah. show, so. So I got I to gotta try to wrap it up. So just, so give us, give us your top couple and and candor, humor, well, laughter, all permitted. No, I, love it. I love it. 
and, and I love that you put the S at the end and, and make it plural. So, so I wrote the book Painted Baby. It's connect with clients through brave and vulnerable storytelling. And the premise of that is, is that we live in a culture where we are forced to paint a picture of perfection. And that actually prevents true connection with people. Everywhere you go, social media, the sales environment, the relationship where we're polished up, we're putting our best foot forward. And we're not that, like that's not true, but we're always posturing with perfection to other people. So the imperfections I have, I mean, if I put on paper, my biggest strengths are also my biggest imperfections. So I'm very decisive. I'm very aggressive. I'm very assertive. I'll make decisions when they need to be made. I like problems. I'm a, I'm a high idea. I'm a high driver. So that has value until I'm in a situation where that isn't needed. And I think it is. And then it doesn't have value. It's actually a detriment. So I will be sometimes too quick to speak and too slow to think. And again, I grew up, I grew up in New Jersey. So that's a different pace. I was wired till I was 10 with a fast pace. And my, my big imperfection, and I'm working on this right now, is understanding that there are certain times that I don't need to be that. And I'm not called for that. Because uh, I think I need to be that all the time sometimes. I'm very protective of the people I love because of my upbringing. Sometimes I'm overprotective. Um, and, and they'll laugh at me here in the office, right? If you turn the camera over to like the room next door, I'm a visionary. So I have a million ideas before breakfast. And then one of the things I'll do is I'll start rolling with all of these. I'll, I'll have 27 things and then get them all going. And that can create a lot of chaos. So the room next door is called the chaos management room because I'm in here creating chaos a lot. Now, again, has value, right? It's built what it's built. Um, but as leaders, we have to understand when we need to tune that down or turn that off or understand that we're not in that place where, where that's needed or required right now. Well, I love that. And I, I love how you talked about things that land up in visionary and transformational leadership. And it can be chaos until you wrap around the discipline and structure and then get it all going. And hence, look yeah. where you are now. So that's beautiful. And, you know, that's a big misconception, those two words, assertive versus aggressive. And I, mm -hmm. I find that yeah. it's mixed up a lot because assertiveness can still be foundational with heart-centered qualities, where aggression yeah. is a total different toolkit of behavior. So I'm glad that, yeah. that you kind of... You, you kind of equated of where that shows up for you. I love it. Yeah. So my third question mm -hmm. is going to be super fun because you like jujitsu. I'm a love yoga it. teacher. Oh, so no I, I know you've got lots of lessons from your jujitsu yeah. mat that much like I do from yoga, because yoga means science of the mind. Share with us a couple things here. I'm going to, I'm going to treat this like a yoga class. Share with us. Who shows up on the jujitsu mat and then you set your intention of, of what you want from that class? Let's just call it a class. But more yeah. importantly, what have you taken away from every visit to the mat that you've put in your toolkit as a leader? So the first time I stepped on the mat, and I'll just share a quick, a quick story, is um, I was a 20, I was 26, about 16 years ago, and I was this big ego-filled muscle bound, just kind of a prick. You know, I was a, a jerk to work for. I had a lot to prove. And I walk into this gym thinking that we were going to do kickboxing and striking and everybody's in pajamas and they're wrestling around. And they're like, oh, you're here for jujitsu. I didn't know what jujitsu was. And they said, go out with this 
little kid over here. He was half my age, half my size. And I go, well, what do I do? They said, well, just watch these guys over here. You just have to, you know, pin them, put them on their back and then choke them, get them to tap out. I go, that'll be easy. So I go out and this kid, he's what, 1,520 pounds. He just takes me, does whatever he wants with me. So he used my strength, my aggressiveness, everything against me. And that, that taught me a lesson, right? And jujitsu is, is first that every journey begins with the first step. And when you step into an environment where you have no knowledge of what you're stepping into and you assume you do, um, you can be really wrong and you can learn a lot very quickly. But jujitsu is all about being put in a position of psychological and physical and spatial pressure where you're having all of this pressure put on you. Somebody's trying to you know, take your breath away or choke you or crank an arm and you can get it to stop by just tapping on your opponent. So it allows you to deal with pressure and just go a little bit further each time. That's one of the big lessons. Um, you know, the other thing that's been really cool is just, we live in a world where everybody gets so divided so easily, right? Mask, no mask, vax, no vax, all, all this stuff that you see out there. When everybody comes to the jujitsu mat, it doesn't matter where you come from, what you believe, who you're married to, any of that. We all come and we train together and we're a team and we're a family. We make each other better. And then it has practical applications of actually protecting your family. I had a situation in Spain with my daughter where I had to use it and it and it saved us physically from a situation where there was danger. So you step into business every day and leadership every day. You know, people aren't physically trying to come after you, but you're being put in situations where there's pressure and you don't know things and you have to be resourceful with what you have and then be very patient under the pressure. And I just love, love that analogy and, and love that sport because of it. It's, there's such an alignment with yoga. And, you know, when I became a certified yoga teacher, I did the, the first level, which was 200 hours. It had nothing to do with yoga mats, downward dogs. You know, we're laughing together, but the amount of theory and with my background being in in medicine and, and rehab, it was such a connection for me. It was another building block. <laughs> and this leads nicely into my last leadership question. You You said to me, I enjoy pouring into others. Yeah. My Irish Nana used to say to me, the more you pour, the more you give, you will always reap the benefits tenfold, whether it's mm -hmm. friendships, connection, relationships, yeah. business. It's just so multifaceted. And yep. I was told for over 30 years that heart-centered leadership did not have a place in business acumen nor did it have a place in business languaging. Hence, I know that's probably why you created your course. That's why I wrote my book, The Playbook. Mm -hmm. Why do you pour into others? Where does that come from? And where does yeah. it take you? Because there were people that poured into me when, right, on paper, they didn't have to. And, and I can look back at you know, the parts of my story. So growing up, share this example. I got, I got bullied severely. Like there's the same girl on the playground. She'd smack me in the face, spit in my face, you know, and I was always looking over, always looking over the shoulder. Where is she? And I got in a lot of trouble. I ran around with kids that got into trouble. So a lot of, most of the teachers were like, you're going to go to prison. You're going to end up, you know, it was the eighties in New Jersey. That's just what, what happens there. But I had one teacher, second grade teacher, Ruth Redding. I um, just talked to her a couple of weeks ago. 
Uh, I have a, a bookcase of all my my heroes, right? Just right outside the room here. And she's up there. You know, I was a little troublemaker and she would discipline me, but she'd say, hey, I believe in you. You're going to do great things. And she told me that. And out of all of the just negative stuff I had, I really held on to that. So like that was one person she she poured in me. She was an orphan growing up. She was at an orphanage. Her story was that she felt that she was led and put there to care for these people who weren't being cared for. So she was able to take her story or that into my story. And now I remember that. But it's easy to forget, right? I can think of the other 27 experiences and go, nah, life sucks, life's bad, and forget about Ruth Rennie. Um, but when you can step out of your own way, that's just one example, you know, business example. You know, had a breakfast with a billionaire and he stroked me a big check. It was no different than just, you know, me buying you a coffee. He goes, here's, here's something you need to go do and I believe in you. And he just invested in it. He didn't have to do that. So now I've gotten to this position where I have the ability to do that. It's not an ability. It's, it's also a responsibility. And it's just, it's just, it's what life's about. How can you, how can you just take all of this and not, and, and hold on to it? Like you take, you keep, you hold on to, you die, you're gone. Then what? Yeah, it's crazy. Well, and, and I'm going to add to that from my, I mean, just getting to know you a little bit, you've, you've accentuated your gifts. Yeah. You know, um, similar, I, I grew up with a patch on my eye, so I, mm. I had, I had the bullying, but you know, it's interesting as I, as I wrote my book that was sitting in my heart for 30 years, much like your course was sitting in your heart. Yeah. I had a grade 11 math teacher that was awful. Like there was three other girls and 26 boys and they all dropped down to the general math. And I was stuck in this advanced math and he failed me. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I yeah. ended up going to summer school and I had this amazing summer school teacher, much like your Mrs. Redding. Yeah. And she's yep. like, Deb, you can do this. We just have to look at it in a different way. And I landed up like with a high 80s from her class. Okay. But what she did for me that I didn't see till the end of grade 11 was I had an amazing grade 11 math teacher. And I just packed up all the strategies for the summer and I used them and I communicated with my teacher and I got exempted. And I thought, this is wonderful. <laughs> and then my grade 11 English teacher embarrassed me in front of the whole class and told me that I was a terrible writer. <laughs> and I'd always journaled and, you know, did mm -hmm. some poetry and I just kept doing my thing. And I remember one of my coaches they said to me in the last couple of years, just write the damn book. <laughs> and I said, I'm not a very good writer. And yeah. they're like, really? Like, you're going to carry that from age 16? Yeah. But you know what? Those early experiences in our lives, they they show up and sprinkle through every decade of everything we choose to do yeah. in our life yeah. and our leadership. And it's fun because I'm sure your stories are threaded through your course. I've certainly yeah. added oh, yeah. some of that into my book. And it adds an invitation for alignment so other people can say, me too. Like, as you're talking, I'm like, me too. Like, it's just, this is what yeah. I love about this. So that to me is, it's a culmination of your life. It, it is. And if my encouragement to, to listeners and watchers and wherever you're receiving this message is, you know, when you're thinking about your story. So I'm 42. I'm having a lot of these full circle things from 30, 35 mm -hmm. years ago that are, that are coming back. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even realize 
the connection. But what I, what I tell people is, you know, be, be the Ruth Rennie in somebody's story. The thing, the little things you say, I mean, it could just be you smiled at the gal serving you coffee who was having a bad day after everybody was rude to her and you just gave her a smile. You don't know what she's going through. Like I've, I've heard stories of like a smile from somebody at a coffee shop stops somebody who's thinking of killing themselves. Like I've, I've, I've seen these things play out. So be that, think about who you are in somebody's story every time you open your mouth, every time you stick your hand out to shake it. Um, you don't know where it's, where it's going to go. So tomorrow, I don't know when this podcast will post, but similar to Ruth Ray, I want to share one more. I give her a shout out is uh, Linda Spreitzer. She was my sixth grade math teacher. So I just moved from New Jersey to Colorado. And like, it was the Jersey kid coming out there like this guy, this guy's crazy. And I was in still a lot of trouble. She leaves the class one day. Uh, I can't remember what it was for. And she put me in charge. She saw some kind of leadership quality in me. And I was in charge. And I said and did some really inappropriate things, right? Being in charge. So she suspends me. I mean, she disciplined me. Good. Um, I'm going to her K through eight school to go keynote a speech tomorrow because we've stayed in touch. So, you know, these Ruth Rennies, these, these teachers like that you had sometimes at face value when you're going through it, they're being hard on you. You're like, why is this person being hard on me? They're not always saying flowery, rosy. Oh, I believe in you. They're like, they're, they're putting you in the, the chair right next to the desk or sending you to the principal's office. But like 32 years later, 30 years later, we were just talking about this. She and I, the other day, she's like, I, you know, so cool to have seen this. And I said, well, thank you for believing in me, but then also put me in my place when I needed to be put in my place. Um, and that, and that taught me a lot. Yeah. that's, that's a, that's a great story. And what a full circle moment for you. I love that. Okay. I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just four fun questions. Just whatever's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind if I asked your family or your friends to describe you in one word, what would it be? Visionary. Name a book that you've read at any juncture in your life. What's the name of the book? Who's the author? And what was life-changing for you? There's so many. How to Win Friends and Influence People was, was a big one. Um, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, but I would share, you know, the one that's really on my heart right now, and I actually had a chance to meet him about a month ago, was uh, Lee Strobel wrote The Case for Faith and The Case for Christ. So I, I gave my life to Jesus in the back, right after being arrested in the back of a police car. I was dead, almost dead in the ditch after ODing and drugging for a long time. And um, this police officer, instead of taking me to jail, took me home. And in this two-week period, I'm like, nah, this, this God thing's not real. I read his book, and that changed my life. And I actually had a chance to tell him that story in person and shake his hand like a month ago. Um, so I would say that, you know, that, that, that'll change my eternity and the eternity of a lot of other people. That's amazing. I love full circle moments. Yeah. Okay, I'm granting you a wish. Don't think. I just want to, I want your gut reaction. You get to have dinner with a leader. This can be a living leader or a leader who's passed away. Who are you having dinner with and what is the conversation? Just one? I just get There's one? Just one? Come on, can I have two? Just one? There's so, there's so many. Um, Who's your default? You know, I don't, I don't have this just, just one go-to all the, all the time. My magic wand is, is flashing and it's giving you one. Who is it? And what are you talking about? And that's a good, that's a good one. Um, I just, I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and I just think of the, 
decisions that the, that the leaders needed to make back during World War II about going into war or storming, storming the beach, not just as one person, but, but that just being around that table of, of making those big decisions. I don't, I don't have one. I don't have a, a default one, you know, that's um, okay. Like, That's yeah. okay. That's yeah. what I love about this show is it's always mm-hmm. different. Um, before I ask you to finish my sentence, which is my last question for you, I just want to say thank you for being a beacon of light. I I continue to be amazed in a little bit of awe, a little bit of wonder of all the beautiful heart-centered leaderships that keep crossing my path. I, I think we are an army of many that is growing across the globe. So I just want to say I'm so thankful that you wanted to be on the show. And I wish you all the best in the future, Matt, with everything you're doing and all the heart-centered leadership you're doing around the globe. And we will definitely keep in touch. And just thanks for sharing your heart today. I, I just, I really loved it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so finish out the show by finishing this sentence for me. Okay. Heart-centered leadership is? Pouring into people, uplifting and inspiring, and making the best of their story because they only get one and you get to be a part of it. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. Looking to master the art of heart? Head over to our website at debcrow.com and watch out for Deb's new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, coming in September. 